0: I'm gonna read a, a text to kick us off into this teaching today, this uh, kind of short homily. Um, in John 17, verses 20 through 26. And uh, this is kind of a strange, um, it's kind of a strange text uh, to, to be t- kind of coming out of Advent Sermon from. Uh, it takes place during what is called uh, Jesus' High Priestly Prayer. And at this point in the prayer, he turns to pray for those who would believe in him after he's gone from this earth in a physical sense. So basically, this is the part of the prayer where he's praying for us. And I believe in this text, there is the seedbed for what the essence of the Christian life is really all about, what's at the center of ultimate reality, what's the true hope of Christmas, and why this season can feel like the darkest time of the year. All of it's right here. So let's read John 17, verses 20 through 26. It's on the screen. Jesus says this He's praying right now. He's praying. My, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, speaking of his disciples. That all of them, meaning you and me and us, that, you know, other churches that are gathered in our city or across the world, that we would all be one. Um, well, I lost my place. That, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So Jesus is in the Father. The Father is in Jesus. They're one. May they also be in us. So Jesus is inviting us into that thing so that the world may believe that you sent me. There's the Christmas part, the Christmas story right there. Verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, that's that unity thing, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So now there's this element of love involved in this, and this unity, community, uh, kind of being oneness. Verse 24, Father, uh, Jesus is still praying. I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, I'm there's so much here. Let's let's pray before we get into this. God, I, I pray today that in some mysterious way, uh, that you would bring us into this mystery, this divine mystery of the Trinity. And I really believe that this is what the Christmas story is really getting at and getting to, that Jesus, you being sent by the Father and the, by the power of the Spirit so that you would bring us in to this divine unity, that you would bring us into the Godhead, that we can be with you as family, that we can be called sons and daughters of God. That is the hope of the Christmas story. And I pray that in some way, as we're tackling this really immense topic of the Trinity on Christmas, which seems crazy to do, I pray that you would make it known to our hearts and our minds and that you would, um, you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's how I want to uh, break down uh, today's short kind of meditation on the Trinity. Um, I want to talk about the reality of the Trinity a little bit and its implications. Um, and then I want to talk about how this idea that Jesus seems to be pressing in on, that our, our true home is actually uh, with God in the Trinity. I want to press in on that a little bit. And then I want to end on how the Christmas story makes all of this possible. And that's kind of what I want to do today in this this short meditation, but first the Trinity. The Christian faith believes and teaches that at the center of ultimate reality, uh, the very meaning of life is not cold, hard math. Um, It's not quantum physics. It's actually the warm relational reality of the Trinity. That is at the center of ultimate reality. This is what the, the, the Christian faith teaches and believes, that God is a Trinity, three in one. We do not believe in a generic God, just like, you know, quote unquote God, you know, God in generic form. And we do not believe in multiple gods. We believe in one God revealed in Jesus Christ Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or the Creator, the Liberator, and the Advocate. Again, I'm not talking about three gods. The Christian faith teaches one God in three persons. Not three essences, but th- because if you add three essences up, they're actually more than one. This is three persons, one God. As if, and by the way, this is not like multiple personality God either. This is not like God showing up in different ways, in different places, at different times. Like there was a God of the Old Testament, the Father, and he was like an old kind of grouchy God. I mean, you know, you know he kind of did some wrath stuff. But then we have you know, the New Testament gospel God, Jesus, and he's a lot more nice and kind and heals some people, but then we now we have the spirit God who's like, it's all about being spiritual, and I'm, like, I'm all about that God. That's not what the Bible teaches either. It's one God, each member of the Godhead equally God, each eternally God, and each fully God. Jesus didn't become The son of God, when he was born, he was the son of God eternally before. Father was always the father, that sort of thing. Now, the church in the first century didn't have teachings on this or volumes of theological tomes on the Trinity, okay? That wouldn't come until the fourth century when this idea started to be fleshed out, even debated, even people died for this theology. Um, The early church had, what they had, what the early church had was an encounter with the living God. That's what the early church had. They had an encounter with the living God through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what encounter triggered the language and the development of the doctrine of the Trinity? Elizabeth Johnson in a really great book, Quest for the Living God, she says, it was an encounter with Jesus Christ whose life, death, and risen presence in the spirit, made tangible God's gracious mercy poured out in the midst of sin and suffering. So you have there the, the Trinity, right? You have the Son, you have the spirit, you have God, the full of grace they encou- the early church encountered the Trinity. This is why they started writing about the Trinity. This is why they started greeting, actually uh, the, the early church when they encountered God in this threefold way to express what they experienced, they codified it in language, in songs and greetings to one another. For example, 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says this, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's Trinitarian greeting. This is kind of how they spoke to one another. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Spirit be with you. Uh, Peter opens his letter in First Peter like this. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God of the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, Trinitarian language. And of course we have Jesus' mandate to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now there are plenty more places in the New Testament that point out the Trinity, but my point this morning is this, that the Trinity is not a doctrine that people made up in the early church. It's not something that has come from the mind of humanity who would make up a God Who would make a, 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 a trinity? God three in one. Even if you start to think about it, it starts to bend your mind a bit. It starts to, your circuits start to overload a little bit when we start to think about the trinity. I'm not asking you to do that right now. I want you to meditate on one simple aspect of the trinity during this series, and it, it is this. That the salvation project of God, which has its advent in the Christmas story, isn't just the mission of Jesus, but the mission of all of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And thus the hope of this salvation project, Christmas, is that we would be brought home into this very reality of the Trinity. The hope of the Christmas story, the reason why the father sent the son through the power of the spirit that Jesus gave himself to put on flesh and he, and he clothed himself with flesh, became a baby inside the womb of Mary to be born into this world, to live a vulnerable life and ultimately die on the cross, resurrect and ascend to heaven, giving us spirit. Why that whole thing happened is that the father, son and spirit would bring us into the reality of life in the Trinity. Now, let me explain what, what I'm, what I mean by this. Think of it like this. The Trinity, the names that we have that Jesus, okay, Jesus did this. Jesus gave us the names for the Trinity. He's the one that called Father, Father, that he was identified as the Son and that he would send the Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit are all relational names. Father is not the Father unless there's a Son. The Son is not a Son unless he has a Father. The spirit is not the spirit unless there's something to be the spirit of. And by the way, if you're getting tripped up right now on gender, God is not gendered, okay? God is not gendered at all. This is not the language of the patriarchy here at all, okay, this is not that at all. They're all equal, they all submit to one another. There's equality, submission, glad submission, joyful delight, all of that in the Trinity. So if you're looking for patriarchy here in the Godhead, you won't find it. Especially as you get deeper into it, you'll find there's actually more equality than you know what to do with. Okay, So, but that's a whole different sermon, and that's not this sermon. But if you're getting tripped up on that part, just know you don't have to get tripped up on that. Let's keep going. The thing I want you to meditate on is relationship. God is a God in triune relationship and God would not be, the father would not be the father without a son. The son would not be the son without father. The spirit would not be spirit, unless he was the spirit of God, which means if God is ultimate reality and he is, then at the center of ultimate reality, listen, is relationship at the essence of everything that we know in life at the essence of everything. Think about this. The core of who God is, is relationship. The way that Jesus spoke about God was in relationship with God. He is my Father. I am his sons, you are my brothers and sisters, you are brought in as family. The spirit is the spirit of the living God who I give you, who lives in you. This is all relational language. And not just any relationship, but a relationship of love and delight. Which is why I wanted you to turn to John chapter 17. See, Jesus is saying, this is what Jesus is saying. Look Look at verse 24. Father, Jesus is praying, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Now, ultimately, Jesus is right, we're told at the very beginning of John, is in the bosom of the Father, the very heart of the Father. The Father is in the very heart of Jesus, and Jesus is in the very heart of the Spirit. Like there, this is the, the d- divine dance, as Lewis calls it. This is the Trinity. Jesus saying, "I want them to be right in the middle of this beautiful, self-giving, self-deferring, loving. I want you to be. I want them to be right in the middle, and I want them to see my glory, the glory you have given me. Now listen to this. Look what it says in verse twenty-four. Because you have loved me." before the creation of the world. This is incredible. What Jesus is saying is that before there was creation, before there was anything, before there was time as we in humanity know it, before God made anything, so as far back as forever, infinity, eternity, this is where the circuits start to overload, there was relationship and there was love. There was God In loving relationship, which means that God, not only is God love, but the center of reality is relationship and a relationship of love. The implications of this are incredible. See, you were not created by God so God could have someone to love and love Him back. That's not why you were created. You weren't created, God's like, I'm so lonely. I'm God alone. I need someone to love me. I want to love someone. I'm gonna create humans so that I can love them and they will be like my precious little pretty thing. I'm gonna love them to death and then, and then they're gonna love me back and oh gosh, that, then life will be really good. That's not why God created us. He already had love and relationship since forever. He already had love and relationship since forever, which means God is completely secure He's not an anxious lover. He is not a lover who needs someone to love or needs someone to love him. He already had that. He already has that. I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I'm really protective of my daughter, Juniper, Juni. Hi, Miha. I told her I'd say hi to her. Hi. Um, so I'm really protective of her, probably too protective. I need to grow in this, therapy, all this stuff, doing it all, okay, so it's, it's there. So you don't have to email me or whatever, okay? It's there, I am, but I'm recognizing like, we were just in Hawaii, she's running at the ocean. I'm like, no, stop, Like I feel like Nemo's dad right now. That's how I feel. Like I, By the way, all my illustrations are basically cartoons now, so just deal with it. Hopefully I'll start reading new, real books next year, but this year it was just basically movies, right? So I feel like Nemo's dad, if you remember Finding Nemo, uh, Marlon Nemo's dad. All he has left is Nemo. He can't lose Nemo. All the his wife, his, all the other little things that he had are gone. This is all he had left, and so he's real overprotective of Nemo, like so overprotective. Everyone in the movie is like, "Dude, you need to calm down." I feel like that right now because, well, if you know my story, Ash and I have been trying to have kids. Had tried to have kids for a very long time and we were finally able to conceive and we have Junie and it's almost as if, and again, I'm kind of (laughs) maybe doing therapy right up here. Anyway, um, it's almost as if like, I'm only a father if there's Junie there. And I know that and like, I can't lose that. And so I something in my body starts overreacting to be overprotective and helicopter parenting. And I don't wanna become that, I've read all the articles, I've read the research, I've read the books, I know it's not good, okay, I know it. I know it, and yet it's like, it's like visceral, it's like inside, I'm like, ah, oh, don't go in the ocean, don't, you can't, and I'm watching other parents let their kids like flop around the waves, I'm like, they're going to die. But you have like four other ones right there, so you're probably cool with that. I don't know, I don't know how you're thinking, but this is kinda how I'm like, th- processing this whole thing. Now, God is not like me at all. God is not this anxious lover to go, oh my gosh, if you don't love me, and if you don't love me, and I can't love you, oh my God, he's, he's secure in love. He is perfect love. The Father, Son, and Spirit live in this perfect triune love. So he created us, not because he needed love. He created us to spread love. He created us out of love, And out of love, he created us to send love, share love, spread love, and is completely secure. Even if you're giving God the middle finger, he's completely secure. And he's still spreading his love. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like he keeps sending his love. The fact that, I mean, it's cold in here, but the fact that it's not a million degrees, negative zero in here is because God's love. The reason why I have breath is because God's love. The reason why we have, the sun keeps coming up is because God's love. God continues to spread and bring his love. This is, and not just that. I mean, this is kind of what Jesus is getting to in John 17. Not only does God spread his love, but he even sends his son, the Christmas story, to bring us back into this love. We had it in Genesis in the garden. We... We disobeyed, we rebelled, we turned away from God's love. Instead of operating out of love with God, we operate out of fear and we turned away from God. And we continue to do that over and over and over again. And God continues out of love, not fear, out of love to send his love. Look at what Jesus says in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, and this is it. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Why, did Jesus, why was Jesus sent? Why did the Christmas story began? Why are we even celebrating the season right now? So that you and I could be in God. That this love relationship that God has had for forever, this warmth of Trinitarian love, that you and I can be brought into it, brought home to it. This is actually where we belong. This is actually where we are at rest. This is actually where we, we, we've longed to get back to. And there's another dimension of God's Trinitarian love and that it's, his love is a, a self-giving love. It's not just, a, it's not just a, any kind of love. It's not like a selfish love, but it's actually a self-giving love. See, the father gives the son. The son gives his life. The spirit gives spiritual gifts. I've been trying to find uh, movies that Junie, at, she's almost two years old, can watch to understand the Christmas story. So I've, we've been, I've been kind of flipping through all the, the, the streaming services, I'm trying to find the one. And last night, um, again, I told you, only cartoons. That's all you're getting from me this year, right? Uh, illustration. So last night, we watched the classic uh, Mickey and Minnie Mouse cartoon where they're exchanging gifts for Christmas. Have you seen this one? It's so good. Um, and Mickey's most beloved uh, possession is his harmonica. And so Minnie wanted to buy Mickey a case for it, but she didn't have enough money. And her prized possession was a locket, watch, uh, a watch locket. And Mickey knew she loved it, so he wanted to buy her a, a necklace for it. But they both couldn't afford it, so they sold their possessions without even knowing to buy the other one, like the thing, like self-giving love. Sold his harmonica so that she can have uh, a necklace for her locket and she sold her locket so he can have a case for his harmonica and they open the gifts and realize they've both given themselves completely spent everything given their most loving thing so that they can show love for each other and I'm like I'm watching this and Ash and I are looking at each other like kind of teary I'm like this is it this is the story this is the Christmas story right here this is it it's the self giving love. This is at the heart of of Christmas. This is the heart of the Father sending the Son. This is Jesus being willing to be sent and give his life. This is the Spirit saying yes and amen to all of this, hovering over it all, uh, impregnating Mary. This is like Jesus, the Holy Spirit saying yes, yes, yes to all this and not only that, I'm gonna give you gifts. I'm gonna pour out, I'm gonna pour out the love of the Father in your heart as you are brought into this divine dance. I think this sums up the Christmas story that Jesus, is that, the, that God, not just Jesus, the, the Godhead is giving what's most valuable to love and to bring us into this love. But God is not three different gods, but one God. My point is, all of God gave the Son. So wasn't that just that the Son gave his life? The Bible says that the father was in the son reconciling the world to himself. That means the father was in the son because they're united. It was all of God giving the son. It was all of God giving himself to the world. It was all of God that gives gifts by the spirit. And not just that, this kind of love, this self-giving love, this glad submitting, joyful intimacy that God is showing us through the Christmas story is what God has been doing and what God has, is like since forever. This is what God is like. And what Jesus is saying in John 17 is that not only would we be brought into this love, Jesus is praying that we would be, um, that we would be fully, uh, that we would be fully brought into this love in a way that we would experience the warmth and the love of God forever. That, Je- that the Father pours out his love on Jesus, Jesus pours out his love on us, and the Holy Spirit pours out the Father's love on us like this, there's just so much love pouring forth. Now, this season, one of my, uh, my ne- the next point, I guess, is the season isn't just about the baby Jesus. So I know that we this time of year, I mean, we're gonna sing songs about that, but it's not just about that. It's about all of God who is acting on the world to bring about our salvation and joy. Said differently, the Christmas story is really about how the transcendent God of Israel creator and redeemer, has drawn near to us in Jesus, and who is still with us in the spirit, who inspires gifts in our community to make us look like God and become like God in the world. That is Trinitarian. Now, the way I want to end is this, why do we need this? Why do we need this Trinitarian idea of being brought into the Godhead, to be brought into this warmth and this relationship? Um, this is the picture of uh, the cover of Time Magazine this week. This is what it looks like. Uh, it's just the cover of 2020 with a big X, like crossing out the misery that has been the year of 2020 with a big red X. Reading at the bottom, the worst year ever. And everyone said, amen. Now, Time, Time has only used a big red X mark on its cover a few times in its like however long it's been around. And it saves this big red X for the worst foes humanity has ever faced. The first time time featured the big red X was in 1945 over the face of Adolf Hitler next in 2003 over Saddam Hussein. Oh yeah. And 2011 Osama bin Laden. And now this year, 2020 is crossed out. Like not a person, not a tyrant that, you know, like not, not a, a maniacal, like 2020 is crossed out. And my point is this. The reason why we can, we can look at 2020 with the big X over it, like, yep, that, that deserves that. Just like Bin Laden did, just like, you know, like Hitler did, all that stuff. The reason why we could do that um, is that we know that it's not the way it's supposed to be. You know that life is not supposed to be like this. We, 2020, this is not how life's supposed to be. If life's about relationship, I can't see you. This is, this is horrible. This is like isolation. This is like, the, everyone knows this. It's like the worst kind of punishment. This is like punishment reserved for people who are the worst kind of criminals, isolation. Yet this is kind of what we're doing in an act of love to keep people safe, all this stuff. And I know I, I'm not gonna get into all that, okay. But we know this is not the way it's supposed to be. If the world is supposed to be, I mean, ultimate reality is relationship and we're isolating from one another, this is the worst year ever. We can look at years like this and say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. We know, or better yet, we are haunted, all of us, by the reality of the Trinity. Whether you know it or not. You might be listening, you're not a Christian. You've never even been to our church. You don't even know anyone from our church. I have no idea how you got the link, but you're here. You know, you are haunted by the reality of the Trinity, that at the center of all that there is, it's not a big red bold X, it's not cold hard math, it's not even karma, it's the relational love of God. You know that deeply within you. And in a strange turn of events, 2020 could actually be fodder for the best Christmas ever. See, Christmas is really only beautiful and great at night when it's Dark and cold, because that's when you see all the lights and you enjoy all your warm beverages. So the context of the Christmas story is a story. Is, is the context of the Christmas story is a story of darkness, deep, deep darkness. Christmas didn't start to be celebrated on December 25th until the middle of the 300s, where it was decided that that date, because it was like the during winter solstice. It was like the longest, coldest time of the year. It was like the longest night of the year. Oh yeah, that's when we'll celebrate Christmas. Why? Because, why? because the light of the world comes in then. I think one of my favorite things to read during Christmas Is a blog I read 10 years ago and I read it every single year. It's called, it's by Matt Redmond, not the worship leader, some other dude. Um, It's called uh, Christmas is Really for Those Who Hate It Most. I love reading this every year. Even the title, right? You're like, yes. If you're sitting here, you're like, oh my gosh, Christmas is like the worst time of the year. That Christmas is actually for those who hate it most. He says in this article that we have sunk, we have sunk into our deep collective cultural consciousness that Christmas is only for happy people. Those with idyllic family situations, or for successful and the beautiful who live in suburban bliss and can easily enjoy the holidays and drive through Starbucks and all that stuff. He says, but this is backwards. Christmas is the great story of the incarnation of the rescuer. It's for everyone, especially for those who need a rescue. Jesus was born as a baby to know the pain and to sympathize with our weakness. Jesus was made to be like us so that in his resurrection we could be made like him, free from fear and death and the pain of loss. Jesus' first recorded worshipers uh, were not the beautiful class. They were the poor, ugly shepherds beat down by life and labor. They had been locked down on, um, they had been knocked down over and over and over again. Jesus came for those who look in the mirror and sees ugliness. Jesus came for daughters whose fathers never told them they were beautiful. Christmas is for those who are alone. Christmas is for those whose lives have been wrecked by cancer and the thought of another Christmas seems like an impossible dream. Christmas is for those who traffic in failed dreams. Christmas is for those who have squandered the family name and fortune. They went home but cannot imagine, uh, they want home but they cannot imagine a gracious reception. Christmas is for parents watching their children's marriage fall into disarray. Christmas is really about the gospel of grace for sinners because all that Christ has done on the cross, the manger becomes the most hopeful place in a universe darkened with hopelessness. In the irony of all ironies, Christmas is for those who will find it hardest to enjoy, he writes. It is really for those who hate it most. And maybe I would add that Christmas is for those who have hated this year most of all. I wanna close as the worship team comes up with a hymn. I'm gonna read it to you, I'm not gonna sing it to you. Uh, The team will sing it to you. Um, But I'll close with uh, these famous and very real lines from the Christmas hymn, O Come, Emmanuel. It says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. Thou dayspring come and cheer our spirits by thine divine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death death's dark shadow put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray that you would bring us in despite ourselves, in spite of this year, in spite of everything going on in our lives, that you would bring us in from the darkest places that we find ourselves in this year into the warmth and the light of divine Trinitarian love. Bring us into the hope of this entire season that all of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, working together in perfect harmony and unity to bring about our salvation, not because you need us, Lord, not because you need us to love you or you need someone to love, but because you are, you want, because you desire, Jesus, when you were praying, sometimes we just kind of pray our desires, we pray our wants. And the the thing that you desire, the thing you want, you wanted Jesus, was that we would be brought into the unity that you have with the Father and the Spirit. Jesus, would you answer that prayer again this morning? We might be lonely at home with Christmas decorations, feeling really, really lonely. Might be isolated from family or people like our grandparents. Would you find us and bring us in to this divine unity? This is your prayer. Would you answer it now? In Jesus' name.